Well, thank you for coming tonight to our session one of the Palm Vista Institute here in May 13th, 2010. And the title of our lesson today is The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. So please turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And as you're turning there, I just want to begin by telling you that any discussion of the Holy Spirit has to begin with the discussion of the Trinity. And if you look in your notes there, underneath where it says, The Person of the Holy Spirit. This is a quote from Wayne Grudem's uh, book on doctrine. And it says the following, We may define the doctrine of the Trinity as follows. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is one God, The Holy Spirit is fully God. So as we begin talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So let's remember that. And he is a person. One God, three persons. And this is God, the Holy Spirit, who is sent to apply the salvific work of God, the Son, Jesus Christ, that he accomplished on this earth. So God the Father, God the Son, sent God the Holy Spirit to apply redemption to our lives. So let's take a look at the Holy Spirit as we find him in the Old Testament. And looking at Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see that the Holy Spirit is there in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we see the Holy Spirit... Right at the beginning, he's there at creation. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you will see that the Holy Spirit descends upon particular people at a particular time for particular tasks. Particular people, particular time, particular task. Look at uh, Judges, if you would, please. Turn your Bibles to Judges. Judges, you'll find Judges right after Joshua. Joshua, Judges. Joshua's right after... Deuteronomy, Pentateuch there. And you notice in Judges chapter 6, you will find the Holy Spirit descending upon a man by the name of Gideon. So a particular people, people of God, particular time, this is the time of the judges, and a particular task. And he's going to anoint Gideon, excuse me, uh, to deliver Israel. So Judges 6.14 says the following. And the Lord turned to him, Gideon, And said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites. So God is with uh, Gideon in this task that he's called him to deliver uh, Israel from the Midianites. Now, Go over to Judges 15, verse 12. You'll see that now he is on Samson. Judges 15, verse 12. And it says the following. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to lay, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, 
and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. So what do we see right here that the Spirit of God is anointing these men to do? Well, in Gideon's case, to deliver. Samson's case, to be set free from bonds. What is that a picture of? Well, ultimately, we're going to see it's a picture of Christ, biblical theology. We see the Spirit of God on men as a, as a little peek into the future where the Spirit of God would be certainly on Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to deliver us and set us free. Now, the Spirit of God is a spirit that is promised by the Father in the Old Testament. So we're skipping, I could go to a lot of places where you see the promise of the Spirit. Let's go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and let's look at verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31, famous verse, wonderful verse. And we see here in Jeremiah 31, 31, that the Spirit of God is going to be communicating here the covenant that God has with his people. And that he's going to be communicating the law of God into their hearts. So look at verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So the Spirit of God is writing now the law of God on the hearts of his people. Now let's move to another picture of this promise of the Father. Let's go to Ezekiel. Go from Jeremiah and make a right-hand turn. Keep on going and you'll find Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. And it's important to look at these passages because when we go in the New Testament, we're going to find many of these passages quoted. And Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of these passages because he obviously is the one that ultimately brings the Spirit to us. So Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, Verse 26, and in my Bible, in this ESV study Bible, on the, in the heading of verse 22, it says, I will put my spirit within you. I don't know if your Bible has that same heading, but uh, that's what we see here. And in verse 26, we read the following, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit, notice that's a capital S in my Bible there, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. So you see Jeremiah being fulfilled here. You see the Spirit of God coming upon God's people. Now, where it really gets exciting, and where you're going to find this now directly quoted, this next one by Jesus, is Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. And here, in Ezekiel 47, we're going to find a river. We're going to find this river flowing. In fact... Uh, again, the heading, which is not inspired, but the heading over Ezekiel 47 in my Bible says, Water flowing from the temple. So, Ezekiel 47, and if you drop down, let's go ahead and just drop down into verse 12 for the sake of time. Ezekiel 47, 12, and it says the following. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. 
Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Now let me ask you a question. What tree bears fresh fruit every month? This is obviously a picture of the kingdom of God. In fact, when you go to Revelation, you find just such a tree. Okay? So this is clearly a picture. It's called an eschatological picture of the age of the spirit. Es- eschaton is the end times. So it's a picture of what's coming. Right? Anybody that read that would go, what? A tree bearing fruit every month? I'd like that kind of tree. Because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That's definitely a picture of the kingdom of God coming. The age of the Spirit coming. But, not yet. Not yet. So, let's, let's move now to Joel. Joel chapter 2. And you have all these references in your notes. To the right of the promise of the Father, you'll see there. Joel chapter 2. Almost at the very end of your Old Testament. Joel chapter 2. In verse 28, Joel 2.28, says the following. Joel 2.28. All right. And Jesus is going to actually, actually Peter is going to quote Joel 2.28. But he's going to say, he's going to say basically in Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass, and I'm reading from the NIV here, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This was written after Ezekiel. This is one of the last of the Old Testament prophets, but not yet. Because what happens after Joel? You have 400 years, basically. Of silence. So you have this prophecy of the Spirit being poured out, and you have 400 years of prophecy until the coming of Jesus. So under the person of the Holy Spirit, point one is in the Old Testament, point two in the New Testament, Jesus coming ushers in the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus coming ushers in the promised Holy Spirit. Let's skip forward now. Let's see this promise that we've read in the Old Testament. By the way, there are many promises. You can do a study of this on your own, but those passages that we just read, some of those are going to be quoted here. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 15. And this is now speaking of John the Baptist. It's, 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 it's the prophecy uh, that is being spoken to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. And the the angel is speaking to him, and he's saying about John the Baptist, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. That's the first time. Technically, we're still kind of in the Old Testament age. Okay? This is that in-between time. But now we have a man. isn't just going to have the Spirit on him for a task. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And then you start seeing these these pictures of the Spirit all over the place in the New Testament. Go forward to verse 35 of Luke 1. Now, angel, uh, excuse me, Mary is being spoken to by an angel. And the angel says to him, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, here's a case where the Spirit's on someone, and of course, the Spirit's on them for one of the greatest miracles ever, for the virgin birth, actually the the conception of Christ, miraculously. The Spirit of God is doing this in Mary. And then 
Going forward, look at verse 41. When Mary visits Elizabeth, and when she entered into the house, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So you see the, the Spirit is, is filling her now. And so we have the Spirit moving. And then look at verse 67. Uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, did not believe the angel. And he was mute for nine months. So when the baby's born, they want to name this child a different name. And Zechariah writes out his name. And bam, the Lord comes upon him. Look at verse 67. And it says, And the father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Okay, So you see people being filled with the Spirit here. Prophecy. Wonderful things happening. What's happening here? The the age of the Spirit is being ushered in. Now, look at Luke 3.16. Luke 3.16. A couple of pages over there. And listen to what John the Baptist says uh, when he sees Jesus. Luke 3.16 says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. So we have this this word now describing the age of the Spirit dawning, coming, because Jesus has come. Remember, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is among you. So here's now the prophecy. This is now the, the prophecy being fulfilled. And the exciting part is when Jesus, over in John 7, so flip over to John 7, 37, Jesus in John 7.37 is going to fulfill what we read in Ezekiel 47. So Jesus, very self-consciously, standing in the temple at a time when the high priest at the Feast of Tabernacles would thank God for providing water. Listen, he would thank God for what God did through Moses when Moses struck the rock. That's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And he's going to thank God for the coming fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel every year, literally for, for, for thousands of years. Moses was about 1500 B.C. And then Ezekiel, I'm not sure exactly when that was written, but maybe six, 700 B.C. And so, so this every year, every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, they celebrate this. They celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to stand and listen to what he says. John 7.37 On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, look at verse 39, about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Jews thought the Spirit was going to proceed from the temple. Jesus says, I replaced the temple. The Spirit's going to proceed from me. I'm the new temple. Remember, he did that. Remember, he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. He's talking about his own body. The Jews thought you meet with God in the temple. Jesus says, no, you're going to meet with God from now on in me. And I'm going to provide the Spirit. So that's just a glimpse of this biblical theology of the Holy Spirit. And so this is very exciting, very exciting news. Uh, 
He's saying, I'm fulfilling the promise of the Spirit, but not yet. Not yet. What happens after Jesus says this? They take him because they understood he claimed to be God. They crucify him. He's on this earth in a crucified body for 40 days. On the 40th day, he ascends into heaven. And let's hear what he says right before he ascends into heaven. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. In your notes there, Ricky, it's point 2 in the New Testament under the person of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is the 40th day after Jesus' resurrection. He's been on the earth for 40 days in a resurrected body. He's about to ascend to the Father. And he says this, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? The promise of the Father. What is that promise? Here it is. Which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, they still don't understand. They still think it's an earthly kingdom. He's saying, no, guys, it's not. It's a spiritual kingdom. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, whoop. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Okay, so he's ascended. The Spirit's been promised. Jesus says, wait, but not yet. All right, turn to chapter 2. Ten days later, they tarry ten days in fear, hiding in an upper room, powerless, fearful, wondering what's going to happen, and then something changed forever. Something changed history forever. Here's what it is. The promised Holy Spirit is going to be given. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, which, by the way, was one of the major three feasts of the Jewish calendar. So right on, right on cue, he's saying, I'm fulfilling this stuff, guys. All this stuff was pointing to me. And here's the fulfillment. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We have a new age dawning, the age of the Spirit. Everyone's filled with the Spirit. Not just prophets or Gideons or Samsons or special situations, but now everyone that would believe. He's fulfilling John 7. He's fulfilling Ezekiel 47. If you believe, your Spirit will fill you. Out of your innermost being will come rivers of water. That means you'll be filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just a, a point of reference here. Corey's going to be talking about the gift of tongues. He's going to explain it perfectly to you in two weeks. <laughs> but I find interesting. The kingdom of God really does break in here. What happened in the Old Testament when man was so wicked in Genesis 11? Everybody, excuse me? Well, after the flood. Or maybe before the flood. Yeah, thank you. Before the flood or after the flood? Don't listen to this. After the flood. What happened? Right. Every man spoke the same language. And what language was it? Spanish. No. Every man spoke the same language. And, and, and yet God said, I'm going to come down and divide you because of your wickedness. 
I find interesting, you know, in this new age, what does God do? In a sense, he reunites language. Now, I'm not saying that tongues is a special gift, but I think there is a significance in tongues. There is an eschatological, kingdom-revealing evidence of tongues. It's a heavenly language. Why? Because redemption is getting nigh. It's growing nearer. As God, as redemption is coming, he, 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 he redeems language. And one day, we all know in heaven, we're, we're going to speak a heavenly language. What language is it? I mean, I joke about Spanish. I don't know. But we're all going to be able to speak to one another. So this is a foretaste of the kingdom. Okay? We'll talk more about that in the third uh, lesson. So, these guys all ask uh, Peter, Hey, what's going on? Look at verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Okay? I mean, obviously a miracle occurred. Everybody's understanding. Guys are speaking languages they never learned. Okay? And they're all praising God. Others were mocking. They were filled with new wine. Isn't that still true today, right? I mean, even with the gift of tongues, people will mock it. It's gibberish. They don't understand the biblical, theological, redemptive, historical, awesome sign that tongues is. Of the kingdom of God being here. We're filled with the Spirit. Okay? What does Peter say? Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It was nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Here we go. We're quoting Joel 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even all my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that what? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. And so the men, they, they say to Peter, well, well, how can this be? How can this be? Now look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Here comes the gospel. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death. Boy, talk about the ultimate Samson. Forget about loosing the bonds of some Philistines. Jesus loosed the pangs of death. Praise God. It is not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, this is a prophecy from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you shall not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He probably pointed to the tomb of David that was right, right close by. David's over there. He wasn't talking about himself. talking about Jesus. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So this is the gospel, guys. 
the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the what? The promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the promise of the Spirit is being poured out on the people of God because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has raised from the dead, died, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. The kingdom has come. The church age is born. The age of the Spirit is here. This is the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 37. Well, look at the 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And the Spirit's on them. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't this exactly the great commission that Jesus said they were to go do? Here it's happening. Here it's happening. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. Yes, it is. And for your children. Yes, it is. And for all who are far off. That's us, guys. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. I mean, what a rich passage. You have so many things here. You have redemption. You have election. You have God's sovereignty. You have Jesus' lordship. You have the Spirit coming. So the promise is now fulfilled. The promise of the Spirit is now fulfilled in the people of God. We live in the age of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God is poured out on every single person whom God calls, who puts their faith in Christ. The promise of the Father has been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. Now, two more scriptures that I I want to look at here in the fulfilling of the promise of the Spirit. Um... Tell you what, let me hold off on those and let's look at the work of the Spirit and we'll come back to those. All right, so let's now look at the work of the Holy Spirit. In your notes, that's the second page. The work of the Holy Spirit. I'm quoting now from our new members class, our Our Journey new members class. And I love this passage here, this quote from Jeff Perswell. God never intended believers merely to trudge on in their own strength. Indeed, one of the great promises of scriptures, Scripture comes at the very end of the book of Matthew. After, just after giving of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Matthew 28, 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so th- th- this, this behold, I am with you always comes through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that is with us. Jesus doesn't live in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart. Now, one God, three persons. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross for you. Jesus did. The Father sent the Son. The Son died for you, rose from the dead. Then the Father and the Son sent the Spirit. And the Spirit is with us today. So, number one, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's active presence. God's active presence. See the quote there by Wayne Grudem? The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So let's take a look at a couple of scriptures that will validate this point. Go to John Chapter 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. This is now Jesus, testimony of Christ. And John writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. Skip down to verse 14. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, obviously, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, great. Now, flip over to John 14. And again, these are, these are Trinitarian paths that are wonderful paths that should be well-worn paths in your heart and in your Bible. So the Father sends the Son. The Son is the Word incarnate. And in John 14, verses 16 to 18, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also live. I started at the wrong verse. Sorry. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Now, we know from our study of John that the Spirit could not be fully given until Christ was fully glorified. Christ was fully glorified when he ascended to the Father. Just like we'll be fully glorified when Christ returns and receive a glorified body. But then the Spirit is sent because the Son is glorified. So one of the I mean, one of the wonderful things of the Spirit is it's a sign that Christ is glorified. It's a sign that, that He rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father. So the Spirit is God's active presence with us. God's active presence with us. What a privilege it is to not only trust in God's omnipresence, but to personally experience His nearness. Okay? So, so God's active presence among his people accomplishes many things. So we're going to kind of move into the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's really going to take up the bulk of tonight. And then next week, I'm going to be teaching on the gifts of the Spirit in general. Then the final week, Corey's going to be teaching very specifically on what those manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But remember, what's the purpose? It's not to make much of us. It's to make much of God. It's to, it's to make much of Christ. It's to glorify Him. The Spirit comes to glorify the Son, to, to speak of His honor. And so Scripture portrays the Spirit's work as pervasive and multifaceted, what we might call the broad work of the Spirit. All right, so God's active presence with us. There's a broad work of the Holy Spirit. And in the first one of these broad works of the Holy Spirit would be God's saving presence. Point number two under the work of the Holy Spirit. God's saving presence. Now, this saving presence, we're going to look at as the new birth and justification. The new birth and justification. The greatest miracle that one can ever experience is the miracle of regeneration. That's new birth, fancy term for new birth, in which the Holy Spirit changes our nature and imparts spiritual life to us. Nothing can ever compare with this mighty work of the Spirit. Now, let's look at Ephesians 2. Verses 1 to 8, to see the description of this mighty work. Ephesians 2, 1 to 8. Ephesians 2, 1 to 8. says the following. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Folks, that's called regeneration. If you'll remember back in John 3, when a guy named Nicodemus came to Jesus, he says, what do I need to do? And he says, you must be born again, not of the will of man, but of the will of God. Not by water, but by the Spirit. So, we were dead, and God made us alive in Christ. Which, by the way, this is another clear, clear teaching about the doctrine of election. Because no man can choose God, because every man is dead. The only way a man can choose God is if God makes that man alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. So one of the great works of the Spirit, it's the Spirit that makes you alive. It's the Spirit that makes you alive. He not only makes you alive, He justifies you. That's the second point there under point number two. The Holy Spirit is God's saving presence. Justification. Great passage. There's many places we could go. We could go to Romans 3. That'd be one you can jot down there. You can go to Romans 3. Let's go to Titus. Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 4 through 7. Titus 3, 4 through 7. This is what it says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Sounds a whole lot like Ephesians 2, doesn't it? But God being rich in mercy. By the washing of regeneration. Do you see that? Regeneration. Born again. New birth. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through whom? Through Jesus Christ, our hope of eternal, uh, our Savior. So, verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, he not only gives us new life, he justifies us. No time here to go into depth about what justification means, but it's a legal standing before God. It's being made right with God when we really have no reason to have hope of being made right with God. Uh, Monday, when I was driving back from the airport, taking one of my relatives back home after they came to the wedding, um, I was driving on I-95 between Sterling, going heading south, wasn't really paying attention, got on, state trooper gets on in front of me, I kind of behind him, there's traffic on the right, he pulls over into the HOV lane, you know, with the diamond on it, I pull in behind him, you know. And on the way there, I was noticing there's a lot of state troopers pulling people over. He pulls over, I go by him, he pulls behind me, he pulls me over. He walks up, he goes, he goes, dude, didn't you see me? I said, what do you mean? He goes, this is an HOV lane. I said, oh, no, no, I'm going south. I'm sure that's, that HOV is just in the morning, right, going south. He goes, no, it's all the time. He had me. Had me dead to rights. He says, I'm going to let you go. Because, I mean, obviously, you realize this guy's an idiot. Because, you know, I was following him. You know, and he goes, but let me tell you, he said a few choice words. He says, get out of this lane, because when you go around that corner, my buddies that are stopping people aren't going to let you go. Sure enough, I got over, and the guy, the guy behind me, he stopped, and he didn't let go. Well, that was grace, man. I, I, got, I was justified when I didn't deserve it. I was caught dead to rights. I had broken the law. But I was justified. I was made right. Now, that's a legal term. Jesus, the work of the Spirit is not just to, in the courtroom to justify us. The work of the Spirit is to bring us into the living room. Look at the next point, adoption. Adoption. This is beautiful, folks. It's all over the New Testament. He doesn't just make me legally right with God. He makes me a son of God. Ladies, he makes you a daughter of the Most High God. Look at Romans 8. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit that's, that we need to understand. I mean, Corey's going to talk to you about the gifts of the Spirit. 
And there's some great gifts, speaking in tongues, healing, miracles. Those are all great. But the broad work of the Spirit is that He saves us. He adopts us. That's glorious, guys. I'm a son. God will never divorce me. He will never leave me. He will never throw me out of the family. I'm an heir. That's what Romans 8, 14 says. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. We're not slaves. I mean, in one sense, we are servants. You know, we, we serve the Lord. Paul says a bondservant of Christ. But we're sons and daughters to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit, what? Of adoption. The spirit of adoption. By as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself. This is one of the works of the Spirit, my friends. When you're down, when you're low, when you sin, when you feel good, when you feel bad, the Spirit communicates to you. You're a son, you're a daughter. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. We read that in Titus uh, 3, 4 through 7. We're heirs of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He's our brother. The firstborn from the dead. It's amazing stuff. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then turn over to Galatians 4. By the way, this is one of the works of the Spirit that is often not highlighted. And I want to highlight it for you. This is why we want to broaden the work of the Spirit. He's not just given for miraculous gifts. He is that. He's not less than that, but he's more than that. He adopts us. Look at Galatians 4. Corey preached on this just a, I think one of the last sermons that we preached in the, in the series on John. We did one on, on adoption. Galatians 4. 4 through 7, says the following. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. The age of the Spirit was born. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent what? The Spirit of His Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three in one. And into our hearts crying what? Abba, Father. You know, Galatians is often called the mini-Romans. Okay? Very similar to the Romans in many respects. So you are no longer a slave, but, oh friend, you're a son, and if a son, then an heir. Man, the Spirit of God communicates this to us. Why? Okay, point three. Because the Spirit is given to purify us. We're purified by the work of the Spirit of God. There's a fancy word for this. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. <laughs> Sanctification. I just spilled water on myself, okay? Sanctification. I do. (laughs) Look at Romans 8. Let's go back to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Let's look at this work of sanctification. Obviously, Romans 8.28 follows Romans 8.14. So Romans 8.28 says the following. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? To birth a new family. Sons and daughters. Adopted through the work of Christ. The firstborn from the dead. A fellow heir. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. The Spirit tells us who we really are. You're not that person that sins in the flesh. You may do it. And some of these sins you may battle with until the day you die or Jesus comes back. But that's not who you really are. You are a son. You are going to be conformed to the image of Christ in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's the eldest brother. 
He's that wonderful elder brother. And those whom he predestined, in verse 30, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's that ordo salutis, that order of salvation there. We've been called, we've been justified. One day we'll be glorified. But in the meantime, we're being sanctified. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, another passage that speaks of the purifying presence of the Holy Spirit, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says the following. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that does this in us. The Spirit of God. And then go over to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, 16 says the following. But this I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Then skip over to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. The Spirit of God sanctifies us, purifies us, makes us like Christ. And finally, the Spirit of God empowers us. The Spirit of God empowers us. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Here we see the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. God actively empowers and gives spiritual gifts to all his people to build this church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now, the, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. It's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. It's the Spirit that empowers us, my friends. Why? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we all have the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit so that the church might be built, so that Jesus' body might grow, so that he might be glorified. And next week, we're going to be talking a little bit in general about the gifts of the Spirit. Corey, again, will be going into specifics in two weeks from now. But just look at some of the things that he gives. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So the Spirit is seen working in us as He wills to empower us, to strengthen us, that the body might be built, that Christ might be glorified. So here we see the person of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament on people, particular purpose, particular task, particular time, promised to us in the Old Testament. We see the Spirit in the New Testament. 
Christ ushers in the age of the Spirit. Christ says, I'm going to give you the Spirit, but not yet, not until He is crucified, He is raised, He is ascended into heaven. And then in Acts 2, we see the Spirit poured out upon us so that each one of us would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Each one of us might be filled, we might be saved, we might be sanctified, we might have God's active presence, and we might be empowered. So our desire in teaching on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is not simply to understand this intellectually, not simply to say, oh, that's nice, but that we might experience the Holy Spirit, that we might grow, that we might serve in the church, and that our service would be empowered, so that we would not grow weary in well-doing, but we'd be filled with power and strength and joy as we serve, as we trust the Holy Spirit. And I, and I, I pray that you know, there may be some of you here, some, of, some listening, that there are some sins in your life that you're weary of. Pray. Seek the, seek the Lord. His Spirit is with you. Some of you might be serving in the church, children's ministry, home groups, evangelism, set up, uh, worship team. You might be getting weary. You know, boy, this is, this is kind of hard. Go back to the Lord. Seek Him. He will empower you so that you would do it with joy. And one of the signs of the Spirit is what? Joy. We read that in, in, in Galatians 5. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I find when I and lacking in joy, when I start complaining, when I have worry, when I have fear, it's because I'm not seeking the Lord. I'm not, I'm not receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, He's here. He's empowering me right now to teach. He's empowering you to listen. He empowers us to, to lay hands on the sick and pray for healing. He empowers us to evangelize, preach the gospel. When we're fearful, sometimes He gives us strength. He gives us the gift of tongues and prophecy and, and, and all these wonderful things. But folks, the, the greatest thing He does, He he applies salvation to us. He gives me joy every morning when I wake up. You know, do you have a sense of that? That, 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 would, be, that would be my desire, as this teaching would, would, would bring to you fresh faith. Lord, I need you today. Fill me with your spirit, that I might be your servant, joyful. When I find myself lacking joy, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm running on empty, man. There's a, a famous theologian named John Piper. He says, you know, we're kind of like a cup. Every morning we, we come to the Lord and He fills us, but it, we, it leaks. So the next day I, got, I must be filled and refilled. Next week we're going to talk about this filling of the Spirit, why we believe the way we do about the filling of the Spirit. Because ever, I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So to that end, what I want to do tonight is I've left plenty of time here. We're going to stop the, the teaching here, the recording. If you're listening, I, I would encourage you to, to, to worship the Lord. We're worshiping the Lord to several songs. Uh, Isn't He Good from the Worship God CD. Uh, oh God, Our God in Ages Past. And then two songs from the Glorify CD from Metro Life, Breathe on Us and Spirit of God. We're going to just worship the Lord. And we're going to give space and time for the Lord to just fill us afresh and anew tonight. And I would encourage you to do the same there, wherever you're at listening to this. And uh, God's active presence is with us by His Spirit. Amen.